Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Growing in Grace. As we continue our series on suffering, we pray that the study of these topics remain fruitful for you as they have for us. In our last lesson, we focused heavily on the importance of purpose and perspective. Some time ago, I taught a series of lessons in our youth group over the will of God in the lives of believers. We went through five truths where God explains explicitly what His will is for our lives. The final point in that series was that of suffering. And in this lesson, we saw that it is vital for every believer and unbeliever alike to understand that God's will for us, in part, is to suffer. This is a message that we might hear often in church, and yet, in my experience, we have an immense misunderstanding of what that truth really means and looks like in our life. I've been through and attended many churches and denominations in my life, and it really wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I began to understand the importance and gravity of suffering in the life of the believer. A watershed moment for me was when I read a book on the holiness of God by R.C. Sproul. In that book, Sproul states that, quote, the most violent expression of God's wrath and justice is seen at the cross. If ever a person had room to complain for injustice, it was Jesus. He was the only innocent man to ever be punished by God. If we stagger at the wrath of God, let us stagger at the cross. Here is where our astonishment should be focused. End quote. My understanding fell far too short because my focus was on the suffering itself, not the one behind it, not the one who shares it, and not the one who is glorified in it. Christ himself and his brutal suffering and death is the key to understanding suffering in our lives. Before briefly diving into our passage for today, it is important that we all have a realistic view and understanding of what our Lord went through in the final days of his life here on earth. All four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John give account of the turning point at the Last Supper. We will pick up at this point where Jesus is having his final meal with his twelve disciples in Jerusalem. All eyes are on Jesus' friend and disciple Judas, who, even after being called out by Jesus himself, makes his final decision to go through with his intention to turn Jesus over to authorities for a mere 30 pieces of silver. To the complete disbelief of the other 11 disciples, Judas leaves. Brokenhearted, focused, and determined, Jesus now sets his face again to the will of the Father, and at the closing of the Passover meal, he leads his disciples to the famous Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives just outside the city. One important side note to this passage is that during this time, it was normal to see 250,000 plus lambs sacrificed during the Passover week in accordance with Jewish law. As you can imagine, this caused an immense amount of blood in the temple complex, about a quarter of a million gallons to be exact, and so the original builders of the temple complex built a drainage system that dumped all of the blood east into a place called the Kidron Valley. This would create a literal river of blood. Jesus and his disciples would have had to have walked through this valley past this blood in order to make it to the garden, a sobering reminder for Jesus of his upcoming death as the sacrificial lamb for all mankind. After hours of prayer, Jesus is finally approached by Judas at the head of at least dozens of armed soldiers to arrest and begin a long night of seven mock trials where Jesus was traded between Jewish leaders, Roman officials, and even King Herod himself. At the end of these trials, Jesus was given over to the Roman governor, Pilate. After pleading for Jesus' innocence and even offering to give the people the choice between this innocent man and a murderer, the Jews chose to release a murderer and have Jesus crucified, even after Jesus was whipped mercilessly at the hands of the Roman guards. 
Now, it is important to note that in those days, whipping looked a little bit different than what we might think of when we hear the term. In the days of Jesus, the process was called scourging. This was performed at the hands of specialized and expert soldiers with a whip that would later be called the cat of nine tails. This whip would have up to nine different strands where each strand had a piece of metal, stone, pottery, or even bone tied to the ends. These soldiers could literally tear the flesh off the back of their victims, and it was incredibly common for the prisoners to die of the immense amount of shock and pain that their body suffered. Jesus was subject to dozens of these blows at the hands of the guards, and his beating was so severe that he was unrecognizable by the crowd around him. Now that Jesus has been officially condemned by the Roman officials, he is led away carrying his own cross, or at the very least, the crossbar of the cross, which weighed about 100 pounds, with a crown of large thorns embedded into his head. He was forced to carry this crossbar about a half a mile uphill, and upon reaching the summit of the crucifixion site, he was laid onto the cross, then being secured by a nail in each wrist and at least one through his overlapping feet, each measuring about nine inches long. Then he was raised up vertically, and over the next six hours, he fought for every breath that he took. A small platform was placed under his toes because of the fact that the design of the cross and the process of crucifixion caused all of Jesus' weight to bear down on his diaphragm, the muscle necessary to take a breath. Therefore, Jesus would have to push up to take every single breath, despite pain and exhaustion. At the end of these six hours, the Gospels record, shortly after the conversion of the thief on the cross next to him, he gave up his spirit and died. The farther we look into the depth and gruesome details of this final story, we see the gravity of the Bible's proclamation that Jesus is not only the emblem and example of our suffering, but the perfect substitute who understands the depth of pain and suffering, both physical and spiritual all while guiding us as a loving shepherd walking with us every step. In my lesson series, Over the Will of God, when it came to suffering, my class and I planted our feet firmly in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 21-25. through 25. This is a wonderful passage from the heart of the Apostle Peter and inspired by the Holy Spirit. It says, quote, You have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you are healed." For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. The name of Jesus invokes many images in the minds of people. Some picture him as a baby in a manger. Others picture him as a child living in the home of a construction worker and astonishing the great minds of his day. Many picture him as a compassionate and powerful healer who healed the sick and even raised the dead, and still others picture a bold and convicting preacher speaking the word of God clearly to great crowds. And there are those who see him as the perfect example of a man, a model of goodness, kindness, sympathy, concern, care, tenderness, forgiveness, wisdom, understanding, and trust in God. Now, all of these are true and can easily be found throughout Scripture, but to the Apostle Paul, one image stood out above the rest. And in his letter to the Corinthians, he writes, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. 
To know Christ crucified is to know him as the author and finisher of our faith, the truest picture of his life, person, and work. Christ's suffering on the cross is the focal point of our faith. That's where the deity, humanity, work, and suffering of Christ is most clearly seen beautifully intertwined. Our passage in 1 Peter shows us Jesus in three distinct ways. Through his suffering and death, we see him as our example, our substitute, and our shepherd. In verse 21, Peter states that Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. The suffering of Christ sets the standard for the suffering of all Christians. The greater our suffering for righteousness in this life, the greater our glory in the life to come. Jesus was executed as a criminal on the cross, yet he was guilty of no crime, no wrong, no trespasses, and no sin. He never had an evil thought or spoke one evil word. His was the most unjust execution ever performed on a human being. Yet it shows us that though we might be perfectly within the will of God, greatly loved and gifted, perfectly righteous and obedient, we may still experience unjust suffering. Like Jesus, we may be misunderstood, misrepresented, hated, persecuted, and in some parts of the world, even murdered. In the midst of all of this, Peter challenges us to walk away with two practical points. We are to first follow in the pattern that Jesus left for us. In verse 21, Peter states that we are to, quote, follow in his example, end quote. The Greek word translated example refers to a pattern that is placed under a piece of paper to be traced. Like children who learn their letters using tracing paper over a pattern, we are to trace our lives according to the pattern that Jesus Christ has laid down for us. Peter then says that we follow in this pattern by walking in his steps. Steps translates the Greek word which refers to a track or line of footprints. We are to walk in Christ's footprints because he was the only one to righteously walk on earth. But it was also a walk of unjust suffering, which is part of the walk of righteousness. Some suffer more than others, but all who follow Christ will experience some suffering throughout their life. Second, we are to respond as Jesus responded. Verses 22 through 23 states, Christ committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. And while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. End quote. Peter wanted his readers to look closely at the suffering that Christ endured. The cross was the time of maximum suffering for our Lord, and this would have been a vivid memory in Peter's mind because he personally witnessed his Lord's pain. Because of this focus, verses 22 through 23 take us to the cross, explaining in the process the meaning of Isaiah chapter 53, the clearest Old Testament chapter on the suffering of the coming Messiah. It is what we don't see in Jesus that is the greatest challenge for us. He was innocent of all charges that were made against him. He took no opportunities to strike back to his accusers. He makes no threats, and he doesn't trust in his own strength, but instead the strength of the Father. Whether the suffering you are enduring now is physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, or all of those put together, it is vital for all of us to look first at our true source of direction and strength. Jesus has promised not only to walk with you through any storm, but to carry you and seal you with him forever. Back in the 1500s, there was a man by the name of Hugh Latimer, and soon to be burned at the stake for his convictions, he wrote, quote, We must all die once, how and where we do not know, 
Here is not our home, so let us therefore accordingly consider these things, having always before our eyes that heavenly city, and that the path there is in suffering. End quote. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you continue to mold us into your image by any means that you see necessary, whether that be suffering, whether that be blessing, whether that be in celebration or in heartache. I ask that you continue to drive us towards you in the truth that is found in your word. Give us the conviction and words to say when we reach out to those who we know are struggling, who we know are suffering from heartache and pain. Help us to be an example to those around us in following the great example that you have given us in the person, life, death, and resurrection of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. It is in his name that we lay all of these requests at your feet. Amen. Thank you again for listening, and if you would like to see more of our content, please visit us at our website at sbbcpittsburgh.org. That's sbbcpittsburg.org, and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a YouTube channel where you can find our recent sermons and the entire series of Growing in Grace. Simply type in and search South Broadway Baptist Church. You may also find all of our digital content on any major podcasting platform. Thank you again, and until we meet again, may God bless you and keep you.